All right, all right. What is going on, world? As you know, this is Jikai. I got my coffee. I got my cats. And uh, life is good. Life is uh, pretty good. Earlier this week, I returned from a trip in Puerto Rico. I was out there for nine or ten days. I think nine days. Because due to a scheduling issue, um, I had to travel a day later than I was planning to. But I had a very, very beautiful time. I had a very beautiful time. And um, I am very indebted to, to my brother and my father and all my friends um, back home who made my stay possible. Um, when you have like a nice, robust um, support network, like I happen to have, you know, back on the island, um, you don't really have to pay for much. That's um, so I, I am very, very grateful. I am very, I mean, I, I, I am uh, kind of just amazed at the um, at the generosity that um, that everyone demonstrated to me and um, I have a you know I even have a habit of keeping up with my expenses and I didn't need to do this until I got back to Texas and I realized that I just barely barely made any purchases at all you know back uh, during my trip that's a really nice uh, a realization to have you know so I'm, I'm very grateful for all these friends that uh, consistently came through I didn't need to rent a car because someone was always willing to just you know uh, pick me up show up and we would go do anything and I mean anything because really I just wanted to I just wanted to see people. I just wanted to spend time with anyone. We didn't need to go anywhere. We didn't need to do anything. I just wanted to see people's faces and talk about whatever. Just catch up. It had been so long. It had been five years. Five and a half years. So this was in March of 2016, my last visit. My last visit was not even a week long and it happened at a time in my life when um, I was living at the monastery so I was halfway through my first stay at the monastery and it came at a time when I it, it was very important to me to distance myself from the person that I thought I was before I moved into the monastery and I am very ashamed 
at many of the things that I said and the way that I tried to present myself. It's really just embarrassing. In spite of the the cringe, I have been told that that's actually a good sign when you look at your past self and feel a sense of embarrassment. So, I guess I'm grateful for the embarrassment. I'm happy to notice that things have changed. I, I, I don't... Uh, I wasn't so hell-bent on presenting myself in any specific way this time around. So this was March 2016, and now we're in August 2021, so that's five years and five months. A lot has happened since then in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico has seen First of all, I think the first big traumatic event was Hurricane Maria in 2017. And then, um, sometime later, I can't remember the exact year, but there were all those, there were all those protests to, uh, to remove the governor from power and uh, that was a major event in in uh, in recent Puerto Rican history. And then in very early 2020, we had a series of strong earthquakes on the island. And then the pandemic, uh, which means uh, the lockdown. And. Um, I have always been consistently disappointed in the way that the Puerto Rican government behaves itself and how it um, reacts to these events. Uh, I'm always under the impression that they always want to control things that you cannot control. And I, I, I know I'm not the only one who feels that way. But... Um, I want to focus a little bit more on my insights. Some of the things that I noticed, things that I was able to appreciate, things that I was able to learn about myself or and uh, my own relationship with the island, with the culture, with the people. And the first thing that comes to mind was that night, that first night on the island, and I was able to spend that time, a little bit of time with my brother, who uh, has been living in my grandmother's uh, house. My grandmother has passed away. She passed away in February of this year, of 2021. She was just over 81 years old, and um, she was depressed and mentally ill. She was, I, I think her, her diagnosis was dementia and depression. 
so she had a series of psychotic breaks um, in the year in, in 2020 I think just around mid 2020 which were very alarming to uh, my brother who really saw himself as picking up so much of the slack um, during that crisis and um, he had a very difficult time with that she was eventually moved into uh, sort of a, a hospice she was moved into hospice care hospice care and um, she eventually uh, passed away so if I had traveled to Puerto Rico back when I was planning to which was in early April 2020 so back in February of 2020 when only um, very few people knew about COVID-19 relatively speaking fewer people knew about the the coronavirus that's when I bought my ticket to travel to Puerto Rico and um, you know I would have been able to see her at that point that did not happen and I was not able to actually make this trip happen until August of this year when she's already no longer in the picture that's regrettable but I don't know I don't even know how to feel about that but the point is that my brother is now living where she lived for many many years it's very interesting to think of it in that sense because this is a house that um, my father grew up in and, uh, and my aunt and um, my brothers and I three of us total and the middle child we spent so much of our time of our childhood well you know really all through our lives in Puerto Rico we really spent a tremendous amount of time in that house it is it's, it's uh, just very interesting to see the the, the transitions that um, that it has gone through the, the sort of seasons or ages that it has gone through it's uh, it's very beautiful so my brother works as a grower in a new industry in Puerto Rico the new industry of uh, medicinal marijuana and um, he's able to get his hand on this one flower of a particular strain which was uh, I don't remember the name but it was quite potent and my tolerance is very low because during my entire time in Texas I haven't used anything like this I haven't smoked any weed or used any kind of um, psychedelics in any way shape or form and uh, one reason for this 
is uh, my own attitude towards these things after having lived at the monastery and feeling that that was a, a, a deviation from a spiritual path. Another reason is the fact that um, working, uh, driving, like keeping your CDL and working for the school district and working for, and, and then working in, um, in public transit, you are um, like uh, eligible for, for these random drug tests. So I was not gonna rig, I was not gonna risk my job just to, just to smoke some weed. It was, it's just not worth it. And the final reason is just a lack of um, networking, you know? When I was in college, the, um, you know, these things, uh, specifically psychedelic drugs, were much more available. So I, myself, never uh, purchased from a quote-unquote uh, supplier or dealer, quote-unquote dealer, I never had any contact with any dealer in, in, that, in, in the sense of actually purchasing from them directly. Rather, my friends always just always had a supply available, and they were the ones who did that. So, you know, I, of course, smoked a lot of weed and um, tried other psychedelics like uh, LSD and some shrooms, but I myself never had to reach out to to a contact, to a dealer, whatever. So, I had the network, and that was not present um, here in Texas. And I, you know, was not interested. But, again, getting back to the point here. My brother puts this little flower and this uh, vaporizer device. And, um... And I take some of it, you know, and I take a little bit more. And after a few minutes, I start to feel these very, very powerful effects. And I start to realize um, why I was so susceptible, why I was so prone to having negative experiences while under the influence. So back when I was in, in university, during those years and I would smoke I was younger and I would uh, I want to say 50% of the time I had a very very negative experience a bad trip and you know at the, at the time I, I just there was no way for me to know uh, why that was the case but now that I have a different perspective you know I'm much older my brain is a little bit more uh, congealed, if you will. And it just seemed so clear to me that what had happened was there was this very real shift internally within my internal life where I had been living my life right down here at this physical level and pulling the strings of my life were 
an assortment of fears. It was all these different fears that were ruling my life, telling me everything, telling me uh, where to look, where to stand, who to talk to, who not to talk to, what to do with my life, how to dress. And they had been running my life. They had been taking care of me. But at some point between now, between then and now, it shifted. It got flipped over when I wasn't looking. At some point when I wasn't looking, it was completely flipped over. So now I was the one who was taking care of the fears. And it just became clear that I didn't, I didn't have to. I didn't need to take care of all these, you know, three dozen fears. 30, 40, 50 fears. I don't need that many fears. No one does. I need maybe like two or three, you know, right off the top of my head. Uh, fear of heights uh, sometimes, you know. Fear of heights are good if you're walking along a cliff, but they're not so good if you're traveling on an airplane. So, you know, even some of these fears are, are, are uh, you know, we can pick them up and put them back down. I don't know, fear of uh, being poisoned. Fear of... Um, Fear of choking. This has been one of my fears recently, ever since the pandemic started. A strong fear of choking, a fear of being betrayed by the universe on such a fundamental level. I mean, just think about the slap on the face that the universe gives me this body. And it tells me, all right, you need food in order to... Uh, keep this body going and then at some point because of this just specific moment in time when these anxieties came together at the start of the lockdown in April of 2020 I am overwhelmed with the fear of choking while eating I'm, I continue to work with this and it has um, uh, fluctuated you know over the past uh, year and 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 in a few months, so a fear of betrayal, you know, being betrayed by the universe. It became clear that the universe is not so determined to have me experience nothing but fear and paranoia and stress and anguish, but rather the universe also wants me to experience pleasure and joy and wisdom and freedom. And it was just, just a very, very beautiful moment sitting there with my brother playing music, you know, in the middle of the night, after a very long and exhausting day of travel, suddenly seeing how um, how transparent these things are, these uh, sort of screens that are kept up by these fears that they helped me at some point, you know? They came up at a specific point in my life. They helped me and now they want to stay. They want to move in 
you know you invite them over for the weekend and two weeks later you're like hey um what are you doing here what's going on and they're like yeah you know i live here now and you're like ah geez uh okay uh, i didn't think this is <laughs> that's not how i envisioned it and uh, maybe we don't even realize until years after the fact so that was a very very beautiful moment to see all these fears really become weakened so something important happened at that point that I was never able to um, to understand previously in previous experience previous uh, experiences with the psychedelic and that is how this chemical this medicine really puts my mind at a crossroads and it intensifies physical sensation in the body sounds sights feelings of uh, temperature pressure uh, within the body and all of these things as well as um, the sense of um, uh, imagination or the sense of thought so to speak or the sense of abstraction I want to say all of these things are these roads so it really puts my mind at this sense of standing at the center of this enormous intersection like this star-shaped intersection like I think there's a lot of those like in in, in Paris I think I, I once saw a map of Paris and there are these many star-shaped intersections that um, can be confusing to someone who's not familiar with these complicated uh, situations and any one of these inputs of uh, from the senses or from the imagination excuse me are pulling the mind in whatever direction and this became very very obvious this time around this time around I could really see how how obvious this all was this game and one thing that um, would make one would make me vulnerable to these to this pull in any particular direction in this imagined intersection within my mind is a desire sometimes mostly it was fear so if there's a slight fear a slight paranoia of um, I don't know getting caught getting caught being high I mean gee, like the the shame the utter um, shame of someone that you respect suddenly discovering that you are under the influence of a psychedelic this was very important to me you know back when I was in college and many of my bad trips were um, the result 
of this fear. And, you know, even in, in, I could see it in my mind, these crazy scenarios playing out of getting caught, like by my parents or by a professor that I respected. And just being devastated with this shame. Oh my God, I can't believe, you know, this this person knows I smoked the weed. It's like, oh, this is the worst day of my life. It's like, no, it just became very clear that um, that this is what's going on. It's really not. It, it's really not that powerful, you know. It's really not that uh, devastating. And it, it just makes no sense. It, it just falls apart when you're able to, to kind of notice it more directly. It just completely falls apart. And uh, this was a huge um, lesson for me this time around. Huge lesson for me. So. Um, lately, my relationship with Puerto Rican culture has been tested by I don't know just my own disappointment that I've always felt so this is you know from one Puerto Rican to the rest of the island right a lot of disappointment there in my own culture in my own people for a million different reasons and then the disappointment with um, the way that people on the mainland talk about Puerto Rico, the way that they think about Puerto Ricans and so on. And then disappointed with the way that Puerto Ricans outside of Puerto Rico behave. For whatever reason, you know, these people, of course, I think I have a much better understanding of them now um, than I am, you know, among them, right? I am one of those, uh, you know, Puerto Ricans in, in the diaspora. So I felt very disappointed in that group as well. The result of this mountain of disappointment that has continued to to grow was that um, I decided that it was just not worth ever moving back to the island, never moving back home. This is the opposite of my initial project. So back in 2015, it was very clear to me that what I desired most in life was to leave Puerto Rico in order to find a Buddhist training center, train, practice, absorb the teaching, absorb the Dharma, become a teacher, travel back to Puerto Rico, establish a uh, a center of Dharma practice and um, just plant the roots plant the seeds of the Dharma on the uh, on the island preferably in the west uh, west side of the island which is where I'm from 
I am very partial to the west of the island. But more specifically, I think it was... Um, It was about my friends. It was this this idea that I wanted to find the most, the simplest and most beautiful gift that I could possibly find and then bring it back to my friends. And then over the years, as a result of this, increasing disappointment I feel like I abandoned that project where it felt more like all right I just see no point in ever moving back well this time around actually visiting the island for myself it became clear that the way that Puerto Ricans talk about the island is not the same as the island itself you know, the way that we think about our own culture doesn't, it's just, it's not the full picture. And um, the way that Americans think about Puerto Ricans and Puerto Rico also just, I, I think even more obviously so, especially to, um, you know, to us, to us as a, um, Puerto Ricans, I mean, it's very obviously not the case. Very obviously, um, what's the word? Just wrong, inaccurate, you know? But, you know, I don't know, it's important to them, I guess. It's, it's difficult to, to understand exactly what, what Americans are going through mentally when they think about Puerto Rico and the kinds of things that they notice so, you know, this was part of my, one one aspect of my trip was really thinking about uh, these friends of mine, a friend of mine um, uh, that I made back at the monastery, and also my current teacher here in Texas, my, my Zen teacher, kind of bringing them with me internally, if you will, like in my mind. And really trying to anticipate what would they notice in this environment? What would stand out to them? What towards what, you know, would these people gravitate? What would attract them about being here? Um, I don't know, like in the town square on a Saturday night. What would they notice, you know? What would they hear? What would they see? It was very interesting to, to consider. I have no idea, you know, what could be the answer to that. But it was very interesting to really sort of see that as a kind of invitation to hold them in, in, uh, in my mind, to consider them, their, their perspectives. Very interesting to me. So, I was wrong. I mean, all these disappointments, all these uh, frustrations were based on something other than my own direct experience of just being on the island, engaging with the people, and uh, possibly because of the, of the marijuana use, engaging in a more relaxed way with my own culture.
the culture that I grew up in, that I come from. So I was very surprised. I was very surprised by all this. And it's not so clear to me at this point whether or not I will ever move back to the island. Because many of my fears, many of my complaints that I could point to just are not compatible with someone on the, on the path of Dharma practice, you know, on the spiritual path. And just to give you one example, I think of a flimsy infrastructure, you know, in Puerto Rico, there's a lot of um, fear of losing power, for example, like electric power. And the infrastructure is so shaky, you know, it's unreliable. So that should not be a reason for which never, for which to decide never to return to Puerto Rico because it just it makes no sense someone I mean traditionally like a Buddhist a Buddhist person someone who has received the words a priest a monk the historical Buddha himself you know I mean it's just I don't know if I imagine myself asking the Buddha himself, well, what do you do if there's no Wi-Fi, you know? And how he, <laughs> how would he respond to that, you know? He's like, oh, there's no Wi-Fi? Ah, oh, geez, well, that's not good. We're gonna need the Wi-Fi, right? No, it's, it just makes no sense. I don't know, it just seemed like it's such a silly thing to, to fear. And yet, you know, that part of that was going on, you know, part of that was going on in my mind. And also a fear of, um, of not being accepted, um, a fear of being ignored as someone who is trying to share the Dharma. And even though that one is a little bit uh, trickier to navigate, that specific fear, it just still seems clear to me that even if someone isn't receptive to the formal aspect of actually sitting in zazen, sitting in meditation, and receiving a dharma talk about, you know, like a, one of these lists, you know how we'll, we'll go through a dharma talk that consists of a list or various lists of things to value, things to do, things not to do, um, you know, like the Four Noble Truths, or the Noble Eightfold Path, or the precepts, or the refuges, or the this or the that, you know, we, we, we have a bunch of lists, you know, we got a bunch of lists in, the, in Buddhism. Even if someone is not receptive to this, they still benefit from the um, a compassionate heart and a, a mind that is in touch with with wisdom, with a clear mind. So if within my body 
I have this long-standing practice of releasing emotions and concentrating my energies and opening my heart you don't have to have any interest in all these lists of the precepts of the refuges of the whatevers in order to benefit from this so you know once again we have another fear that is you know swept away that's what it sounds like when I sleep I'm a very fast uh, uh, sweeper I have my cat sitting on my lap and uh, the warmth the softness So beautiful. It's a very beautiful boy, and I'm gonna miss him when I move back into the monastery. So, this is another um, another insight from my trip. And um, and it's related to this trend of spiritual charlatans. In my life, I am very opposed to religious fundamentalism. And I am also very opposed to people who present themselves as gurus, as yogis, and they're just a fraud. They're just, they're just bones, you know. They're just people who don't seem to, who just haven't been able to, to, to grow up. All right. And um, this came up, this concern or this, this, <laughs> this, um, I'm sorry, my cat is, is really, is trying to get in my face. My big boy, let's see if we can hear him purring. Not really. Let me put him down in a way that um, he's not so disturbing. Good boy. So, what happened? Within my larger group of friends back on the island, there is one particular person who um, has an interest in uh, uh, Eastern practices. He's interested in meditation. He's interested in the teachings of, um, <clears throat> of Sadhguru, which is a very interesting um, yogi. 
very interesting master. And um, this person uh, made um, at least one attempt to live long-term in one of the retreat centers on the mainland, not on, n not in Puerto Rico, but you know, um, in the mainland United States. Um, this is one of the uh, uh, retreat centers that is connected to Sadhguru's larger international community. And um, he tried to live there long term. And he was only allowed to live there for a very short time. And it is my understanding that he was essentially turned away primarily because of his uh, mental health history. So this is someone who has had mental health problems. He's got a history. And it is known to many um, good spiritual teachers that sometimes intense spiritual practice can aggravate mental health um, conditions, mental problems. So he was encouraged to leave. And that's fine. When he goes back to Puerto Rico, unfortunately, there isn't a community that is connected with Sadhguru in, uh, in a way that would appeal to this person. And so he only has his own interest and desire to engage with the teachings of Sadhguru, as far as I know, without receiving any feedback from someone certified, you know, someone official from the community, as far as I know. But this person, because of their attempt to practice intensely, is able to present himself as this quasi-yogi. And... Um, feels, I don't know, a, a confidence in sharing some of the teaching, and regrettably, someone who hasn't made the same attempt, who um, hasn't made um, comparable progress on the spiritual path then they are likely to see this person as presenting themselves as a spiritual teacher, a genuine spiritual teacher. And this is tragic. This is absolutely tragic. Because it just leads to trouble. So, this unfortunately is very, very common. Everywhere. But in Puerto Rico, because we have access to these things, to these teachings, because of um, the internet mostly, and we have access to the language, but we don't have access to the people themselves, then what happens is that you have people just sort of passing off as, um, 
as gurus and yogis. And um, when you have these people who are, they're not very old, they're usually quite young, you know, at this stage, the people that, that, that come to mind are in their like early 30s. They appeal to um, like these young college kids that are in this phase of rebellion and they see them as these like oh my god these great examples of yeah he's doing it you know he's he's sticking it to the man meditating alone every day receiving no feedback from a teacher this but they don't know that you know they just think that like yeah that's good that's spiritual that's insightful that's meditative And um, they don't realize that, looking at it from the outside as a 30-year-old, you know, what you're actually seeing is a man who uh, finished his undergrad a number of years ago and is continuing to hang around the campus library. And uh, he just looks like an older student, you know. He doesn't look uh, unofficial. He doesn't look like he doesn't belong. But as a 30-year-old who has had to kind of um, just just uh, pay rent, you know, pay bills and, and, uh, and get a car loan. It just seemed to me like I'm looking at some lazy bum. I'm looking at this lazy, immature person who is unwilling to grow up and mature. And then when it relates to the spiritual path, didn't have the the... Maybe because they didn't have the opportunity or whatever the reason may be, but they have not received uh, feedback from a teacher, instruction directly from a teacher. This is difficult to do when you're on the island and you're interested in, I don't know, Buddhism. You're interested in, the, in, in yogas, the yogas of awakening, the technologies of awakening as they manifest themselves in Eastern uh, religion. Buddhism, Hinduism, and so on. You know. But it's this is it's just very tragic. And it seemed to me that one excellent way to uh, to stand up to this trend was to actually cultivate a presence for for real teachers, for mature Dharma practitioners who um, who are willing to provide the feedback, to provide instruction. I confess that I I, I just feel like I keep holding myself back when when talking about this because I don't I'm trying not to be <laughs> insulting or hurtful, but this is something that makes me very upset because. I was able to see a friend of mine really suffer at this um, in a situation where someone who had introduced him, in, in, in his view, someone who had introduced him to, to meditation and to Eastern spirituality was heartbroken because this other person who had so many problems in his mind suddenly had this terrible falling out with the rest of the 
of our larger community of friends. And um, but as far as I can see, this person, you know, who who did stick around within the larger group of friends, doesn't really have the same problems. And if he made the same attempt, I don't know, to live in a retreat center, to practice meditation in a very, very deep way, he would most likely get a very different result. And I told him this, and um, it would be a loss if he if he walked away from that path. You know, it is one thing to be grateful to someone for introducing us to the path, but doesn't mean that they have to remain as our mentor. I think I, I said this to my brother at one point. There was one person who, uh, a childhood friend of mine, who has uh, also has an interest in Buddhism, but my interest is for the mystical, Zen, you know, that intensity, the intimacy, the rawness, the, the power and the confidence that comes from practicing deeply. And when he encountered Zen, it just seems to me that he very quickly lost interest and he decided to go for a more faith-based Buddhism. You know, I would be <laughs> horrified to think that I, you know, that, that I saw him as a mentor um, just because he was the one who was able to introduce me to the, the, the temple of uh, the, the Zen Center of Puerto Rico, for example, and, and uh, we would travel out there together. I would be horrified if I, and, and disappointed in myself if I saw him as a mentor. So, hmm. I don't really think I have much else to say about these things. My only regret is that in talking about them, I have held back. And perhaps in the future I'll be able to revisit these topics and not be so tragically repressed. So I'm a little bit disappointed in myself. I was talking about this with my therapist recently and you know because it's a private conversation I can just go you know I can say whatever the hell I want and it's just and you know and, and uh, and she'll be there to um, to receive my complaints, my my pontifications. But here I perceive this as sort of a, a kind of a public airing of all these problems. And um, but this is the I guess this is the challenge of of attempting to to express myself openly. So, I want to keep this in mind, because I don't want to hold myself back too much. I'm reminded of something one of my professors once told me about um, Picasso, the artist, 
who I'm only, you know, very marginally aware of. And And so on. He said that the reason um, Picasso is such a great artist is that he's not repressed. He doesn't hold back. And I envy that, I guess. I think of Picasso, I also think of King David as a chapter. There's a psalm, Psalm 139, where he goes something, he says something along the lines of, you know, test me, know my anxieties, look within my heart, and know all my anxious thoughts. I don't remember exactly how he phrases it, but that's the gist of it, as I remember it. And King David is another example of someone who is very unrepressed so in the future I want to make that commitment with myself to be a little bit more open and maybe what's holding me back is this whole this fear of talking about other people rather than talking about myself maybe that's what's going on in any case I think that's enough for now I have other ideas about to talk about in, in future installments and I'd like to make this a regular thing have a set schedule For now, if I remember anything else about my trip to Puerto Rico, that I don't need to so, I don't need to uh, so fearfully hold myself back about, then I'll come back and, and share it. So for now, you have a beautiful evening.